Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Recorded live. Good morning and welcome to this morning's School of the Bible hosted by the Kingdom of God Fellowship Church, brought to you by the Empowered for Life radio broadcast. Um, This morning we are having just a wonderful time and we just thank the Lord for those of you that have gotten up early this morning for Power of Forgiveness show that is here. Uh, Even in the chat room, we thank God for you and for covering us in the blood of Jesus. We are just so grateful and we're so honored um, for all of you that are here on today. It's a wonderful, wonderful morning. I am Apostle Rose White, and we pray that you have come with your Bible, your pad, your pen for this special time of study in the Word of God. We're going to get right into our assignment for this morning, but before we begin, let's open in prayer. Father, we just thank you for this special time. We thank you for these few moments of devotion in your word. Illuminate our heart and our mind. Give us ears to hear what you're saying to us on this wonderful day that you have made. Help us to receive your word with thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, on this first Sunday morning, um, May the 1st, 2016, We are continuing our faith series because it's all about our faith. Faith is what pleases God. And so today we're going to be discussing increased faith. And our lesson today is going to be coming from Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. We're going to look at each one of those verses on today, but I want to point out our key verse, which is coming from verse 3 of Luke chapter 17. And I'm reading from the King James Version. And it says, Take heed to yourself. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. Oh, how wonderful that is when we understand the beauty and the power of forgiveness. Have you ever wanted to, you know, uh, just sort of get even with someone? Many times we have if we be honest about it. But if we are offended or mistreated, we may believe that we have the right to retaliate, you know, even to uh, scoring what people say, I'm going to even this score. And so there is a sense of entitlement here or a belief that bad behavior toward us gives us a right to pay back. Of course, if we really want to stand up for ourselves, our response will be a little greater thereby teaching a lesson to what we consider our tormentor. We don't just get even. We feel like we got to win. So that we don't think the above is simply the schoolyard attitude of childhood, we should even look at what happens in many times the workplaces. You know how people sometimes hold petty grudges, and not just for a day. I mean, sometimes people hold them for years. There are coworkers who are feared or even loathed because they will let no offense, no matter how tiny, you know, or even unintentional, they won't let that go without having some kind of negative reaction. 
And this behavior can be found all the more in the in the world of social media where there's face-to-face behavioral etiquette that doesn't seem to apply. But at the core of all this is the belief that life should be fair and that we are both, one, the judges of what is fair treatment, and two, enforces of punishment on those who step over the line, what we consider our lives. We think ourselves sometimes, you know, to be justified in keeping um, behavior scorecards and relationships, and, and such scorekeeping can be found even in extended families. We see it in marriages and in churches, but it shouldn't be. And so in today's lesson, Jesus addresses the dynamics of relationship offenses his solid, the practical principles that apply to his disciples, even in the first century, they are vital even today, right now, on this very first Sunday of the month of May. These begin with an understanding of our place in the arena, you know, of relationship. And this helps us to see ourselves as people of faith whose service to God is far more important than keeping score with other people. Hallelujah. And so when we look back a little bit, um, just looking at some background, in uh, Luke chapter 17, Jesus was on his final journey to Jerusalem, and the cross, you know, was awaiting him there. Uh, The trip, literally, uh, when it's narrated, it begins even in the ninth chapter in verse 51, and it ends with an entry that is triumphant in chapter 19. There are many teaching opportunities that are recorded in this section um, of 10 plus other chapters. And sometimes Jesus was teaching the crowd, you know, sometimes just his 12 disciples. And today's lesson, it falls in this category. And so the lesson this morning, it focuses on the topic of forgiveness and faith. Forgiveness in particular, you know, was a a much studied and a a discussed issue for the Jewish people of Jesus' day. And their scriptures, you know, our Old Testament, it taught them about the necessity of asking, of receiving God's forgiveness. Oh, my, how wonderful it is of understanding the forgiveness of God. The scriptures also spoke to forgiveness between people. You know, it was seen as necessary, and even Proverbs, that book of wisdom, teaches us the wisdom in forgiveness. And so the Day of Atonement, which is called Yom Kippur, it was a national holy day that addressed the forgiveness of the people for another year as the the high priest uh, offered those special or those specified sacrifices, even in Leviticus chapter 16. So, you know, yet just as those relationships or the relationship of the people to the Lord had been complicated because they had so many rituals and uh, regulations, so too had the, the process of forgiving others. See, rather than letting forgiveness occur naturally as a, as a loving act between people, some wanted to define its terms and its limit, you know, that the frequency. So the act of grace uh, that forgiveness was to represent had become just something much less gracious. You know, it was a response to certain conditions. So in short, forgiveness for the Jews of Jesus' day, it had to be earned. But Jesus taught that a world without forgiveness was a cruel and cold place. 
by the time, you know, of today's lesson, he had taught his disciples to pray for forgiveness from God as they forgave others. You see, it's so important. God has forgiven us of everything that we have done. How much more should we forgive others? But there was more yet for them to learn when it came to this topic. And so first of all, we want to go and we want to sort of look at these verses, these first uh, uh, 10 verses. And verse 1 of our lesson today, it says, Then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. See, Jesus begins his teaching by saying what everyone knows, offenses will come. Even the best of relationships have problems from time to time, we'll be honest. Even the strongest marriages have to work through some issues. Even the best friends are sometimes at odds. We've all had, had those moments, you know, where we've had great friends, but we didn't always agree on everything. And so the word offenses translates a Greek word from which we derive our word scandal. It can refer to a, a stumbling block, something that one trips over, as we read even in Romans chapter 11, verse 9. This word is also used to refer to a trap, you know, a snare that we, we set for animals in order to catch them. My mother was, was a true farmer. I raised up on a farm. And so I used to watch her set all kinds of traps to catch many different types of animals from rabbits to squirrels. <laughs> you know, we lived in the country, and so we did a whole lot of that, and she truly was a true farmer. But in the realm of relationships, the word refers to something that breaks fellowship. So as depicted here, these offenses are bad, sinful obstacles uh, when we look and we compare them to Matthew chapter 13, verse 41. To this, we may even, you know, look at and contrast it with Romans chapter 9, verse 33, which describes the reverse. Although Jesus is certainly not a sinful obstacle, he is nevertheless a stumbling block and rockable sense, the one who is tripped over by those pursuing righteousness by works. <laughs> See, Jesus pronounces a, a warning, a woe, regarding the sources of, of such sinful obstacle. It's bad enough uh, to fail to resist the temptation. We've been talking about that, you know, the last couple of Wednesday nights, you know, uh, and thereby commit people, they commit sin. They actually allow themselves to, to allow the, the temptation to take them over and they walk and commit sin. It's even more grievous uh, to be the cause of the sin of others. See, this is sin literally compounded one through guilt for setting a trap that should not have been set in the first place. And number two, some responsibility for the other person who falls. (laughs) That's something else. Secondly, um, you know, uh, verse 2 says, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Millstones are essential for grinding wheat or barley into flour. Uh, this is a normal task uh, of village life. And although grain can be roasted and, and eaten whole, flour is required for the much-preferred bread, even when we look over in that 24th chapter of Matthew, verse 41. See, millstones for, for this purpose, it, it ranges in size from those used in the, in the hand mills of, of maybe a household. Um, it can weigh like 30 to 50 pounds. 
or we can go to large village, you know, versions that might be uh, back in the day powered by donkeys. I don't know how many of you, you know, come back and tell them maybe a little bit of my age, <laughs> you know, but there were donkeys that was used. And so every millstone uh, has a hole carved in the center um, so it can be rotated on, on like a stone uh, underneath it. And this allows that grain uh, between the stones to be crushed, to be grounded. And that millstone, when you begin to look at this and imagine this, many of you that, that know me, I love to be able to take things and, and um, use visualization. Uh, what happens is this, it immediately resonates with that, the life experiences of the disciples of Jesus. What is new to the disciples, however, though, here is that imagery of a, of a deadly necklace, that millstone necklace. See, if, that, if a millstone center hole were to be threaded with a strong rope and then secured around a person's neck, drowning would quickly result should that person be cast into a sea. You know, it's going to happen. It would be better for a person to die such a death than to be the cause of sin for one of these little ones. And so we traditionally understand little ones to refer to children, according to Matthew chapter 18, verses 2 to 6. But the application is much broader here. They are the naive ones in our world, whether children or adults. You know, these are the ones that should be protected from sin rather than enticed into it. And we live in a society where many people are being enticed today. And so people who are wise to the sin traps of the world, they have a responsibility not to encourage others to fall into those traps. You know, traps that that those wiser folks may have yielded themselves to at one time or another. Instead, you and I are called to be rescued. We're supposed to be protectors, snatching, you know, others from, from the fire. Verses uh, 3 and 4 says to us here, take heed to yourself. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. That's the word. Hallelujah. And so Jesus shifts his focus from causing others to sin to situations when we ourselves have been wrong. We sometimes think that, that sin only involves offenses against God, forgetting that most sinful behavior is also tied to behavior between people. So what should we do when others sin against us? Verses 3 and 4 should be considered together. Verse 3 gives us that simple formula. Recognize sin, rebuke the one committing it, Expect repentance, and then forgive when repentance is forthcoming. By itself, this verse tells us how, but not how much. So it's allowing us to keep a scorecard on forgiveness frequency. But when we include verse 4, you know, we can understand Jesus' main point. Don't keep scoring forgiveness. Keep forgiving. Be quick. Be ready and willing to forgive. See, this is not weakness at all, but it's strength. The word but we might object to. We be taken, you know, advantage of when we always forgive like this. You know, the question is, uh, shouldn't we be a little bit stingy when it comes to forgiveness, just a little bit selfish? (laughs) 
But Jesus answers this question with a firm no. We ought to be consistent leaders when it comes to forgiving. And that's hard for some. But through Christ, we can. We must give up our scorekeeping and our desire to get even. We, we should just be striving each and every day to be people that are walking in forgiveness. But what about those who don't repent? Should we withhold our forgiveness? So that, that can be a tricky question, you know. But that issue and that question is not addressed here. And some will point out that as Jesus dies on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke chapter 23, verse 34, you know, even though the ones who, who put him there, they hadn't repented, they most certainly did not. And others will actually point out in response that Jesus does not say, I forgive you in that situation, but request the Father's forgiveness of them. Forgiveness that the Father will grant only if they repent. So we can at least conclude that Jesus wants us to have a ready and a willing attitude of forgiveness. And his disciples ought to be uh, those extravagant forgivers. My mind goes back to the scripture that says, he that is willing and obedient shall eat the good of the land. That's what it's all about, you know, being willing and obedient. You know, my, I have many family members that are, you know, a lot of times they have gone to the casinos and gambling. And when I was a young child um, growing up, there were things that I used to observe. But I, and, and I had one particular uncle, he was a blackjack player. You know, he just loved blackjack. And forgiveness, let me say, is not a game of blackjack. Forgiveness is not a game at all. Forgiveness is a requirement from Jesus, the one against whom we, we have all sinned, the one who has paid that sin debt that was ours actually to be paid. And so those who count cards and, and limiting their forgiveness can expect to hear these words on Judgment Day, Oh, thou wicked servant. I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? According to Matthew chapter 18, verses 32 to 33. Well, as we look back in our lesson here in Luke, um, we see some additional things. Verse 5, it says, And the apostles said unto the Lord, I love this, increase our faith. Isn't that wonderful? See, the topic moves now from forgiveness to faith. The disciples called apostles um, since Luke chapter 6, verse 13. They asked Jesus to increase their faith. Our understanding of this request will be influenced by what we understand faith to be. See, one view of faith is that of a, a logical process of coming to belief based on acceptance of evidence. Others see faith as entirely a gift of God. These, then, are the extremes. Number one, faith as a human reaction to circumstances, or two, faith as a supernatural endowment from God. The Bible presents both views as having, you know, some validity. And in the final analysis, the lack of faith is our choice, and being faithless is our responsibility when we look at Luke chapter 9, verse 41. But on the other hand, faith is also a 
spiritual gift that is bestowed by God, according to Romans chapter 12, verse 3, and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. For what then are the disciples asking? It doesn't quite make sense for them to be asking for faith in the sense of the first type above. See, how can Jesus increase faith if it is a human choice that concerns the disciples' evaluation of circumstances? Neither is the second type of faith in view, since the disciples are not faithless fools asking for something they do not already have. They are already men of faith. They are people who have chosen to follow Jesus. What they're asking is that Jesus help them have a stronger faith. See, these men know their weaknesses, and they understand the doubts. They're laying themselves before Jesus in all their inadequacy, and they're repeating the request of the father of that demon-afflicted boy. Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief, according to Mark chapter 9, verse 24. Verse 6 here goes on to tell us here in Luke, and the Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Wow. Jesus answers their request by giving an illustration of what powerful faith is capable of doing. My, my, my. He uses two extremes to make his point. The mustard seed is well known for a tiny seed. I actually went and bought some mustard seed, and it is very, very tiny. One mustard seed of a certain uh, variety weighs about two milligrams. So it would take, um, you know, over 225,000 based on some research of seeds to make a pound. I mean, that's seriously small. And this sycamine tree, more commonly known today as the mulberry tree, is mentioned not because of its huge size, but because it is known for having very deep roots. And so Jesus' word picture is that of commanding a deeply anchored tree to pull itself out of the ground, roots and all, not merely cut itself off above the ground, and replant itself in the sea. Wow. And so Jesus' declaration, it has this impact. The one having even a a tiny amount of faith that is unblemished by doubt can do, you know, very mighty things. This pronouncement does not uh, immediately increase the faith of Jesus' disciples, but it does indicate his approval of their request. More faith means more things done for the kingdom of God. And we can see that in, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 20. We can also see it in Mark chapter 11, verse 23. We continue on in looking in verse 7 that says, But which of you, having a servant, plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, When he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet. Jesus here offers another illustration concerning the nature of faith. Imagine a farm servant who completes his task of plowing or feeding cattle 
then returns to the house at the end of the workday. Does the one in charge say, go and sit down to eat? Jesus' disciples know the answer. No head of household in this era would say this. See, servants are subject to be on duty whenever required, and something else has to happen before the servant has dinner. Verse 8 goes on to say, and will not rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink? Jesus answers his own question, and his answer is what any of the disciples would give. The servant may have worked long hours in the field, but before he died, the head of the household expects his own evening meal first. Servants eat and rest only after that. I'm a very much witness to that. You know, and many of us, you, you know, when we grew up in homes where the father, the father was in the home, a lot of times the, the, the father, uh, the mother would make sure that the father ate first, you know. Um, I had the opportunity of serving and working, um, having a ministry, uh, a missionary ministry over in South Africa, and there were workers that were there in the home, and the Lord allowed me to be able to be one of those families that had uh, people working within the home. And one of the things that I learned there is also servants that actually they did. They, their task was to do the work um, that they were hired to do, and then they would eat and rest after that. You know, they had to do their, their particular work first. And so this was a, a primary example of that. And so verse 9 goes on to teach, does he think that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. Here in this verse, Jesus pushes this illustration a step further. Does that servant deserve any special thanks for doing his duty? See, in this harsh world of, of heads of households and servants, there's no recognition or praise or obedience so the answer is no. The obedience of the servant is just simply expected. The older English expression, I troll not, means I think not. Servants of Jesus' day do not get participation trophies. <laughs> you know? And then we see here in verse 10 as we continue, an obedient faith. It says, so likewise ye. When ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. See, this verse serves as the answer to the request of the disciples in verse 5, the appeal for more faith. Jesus tells them to continue to act faithfully, to do all those things which are commanded. Faith in this sense is, is not so much something you possess as it is something you do. Faith must be worked out in humility with a self-depressed, uh, I would say, um, a sense that we are unprofitable servants. The right kind of faith is not characterized by, you know, congratulating high fives, <laughs> you know how people do, or having some kind of expectation of praise. But faith is to be steady, it's to be reliable. That consistent practice of obedient faith makes it stronger and more mature. See, a lot of times we say we have faith, but it's our actions that prove if, if faith is really in action. 
Have you ever, you know, sort of met people who felt that they had a sense of entitlement? If you haven't, I most certainly have, you know. And I was reading about a little story, and I found that it quite interesting, and I wanted to share that with you this morning because it's dealing with that. Uh, it's a story about a grandmother. Some of you may have even heard this. Um, who She asked her, her five-year-old grandson uh, what he wanted for Christmas. And she showed him uh, um, a toy store's Christmas catalog, and she, you know, asked him to pick out a few things that he might like to receive. And looking through that catalog, this little boy ended up pointing to every item on every page. <laughs> He's saying, I want this, I want this, I want that, I want everything. And even at this early age, this child had developed a sense of entitlement. Now, an entitlement epidemic uh, seems to infect our culture today. And here in America where everything is right at our fingertips and, you know, people is like they, don't, they, they buy before they even think, you know, it, it knows no age boundaries today. And this, I truly believe, is the roots of even that great recession of 2008 through 2011 right here in the United States, which can be traced to a, a cultural mindset that, in effect, told us that we were entitled to own homes. See, I was in this time frame living in Miami, Florida. I was working within the real estate uh, industry and the mortgage business. I had a very large flourishing business, as a matter of fact. But as a result, people ended up with variable rate mortgages that stretched them beyond their abilities to repay when those interest rates rose. For those of you that remember, uh, and I myself, sometimes it was a horror for me to see uh, all of those homes that m many times that I and the agents that I had working with me would close those loans to many of those communities in those areas, all of a sudden there were lockboxes on those doors. Many of those people had to move out of those homes. They lost their home. See, when unemployment began to rise and the house bubble burst, there was a massive number of overextended homeowners who saw their houses go into foreclosure. And so Jesus' illustration warns against having a sense of entitlement when it comes to the things of God. The only thing that we are entitled to in God's economy is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, according to Romans chapter 6, verse 23. There's that sense of spiritual entitlement was a big problem in Jesus' day. And so may it not be so in ours as we exercise obedient faith and gratitude for Christ's work. And so in my conclusion um, this morning for our first segment uh, here of School of the Bible, which a.k.a. for us is Sunday School, Today's lesson, it revealed that Jesus was confronting the issue of forgiveness in a way that cannot be ignored. He knew that the community of his disciples, the future church, it had to be a place of forgiveness and grace. Otherwise, it would be no different from the hard-edged uh, communities of earned forgiveness of his day. And in that light, Jesus taught his disciples how to forgive and implored them to not place limits on their forgiveness. See, the model situation is for us to recognize that when we are wronged, confront the wrongdoer, receive an apology, and then release any grudge or any ill feeling. One thing is, is I have looked upon and even having intercessors and being an intercessor myself, I have come to understand that there are even things that will hinder our prayer. And one of those things, 
is having unforgiveness in our heart. And so we've got to release any kind of ill feelings that we have. Any grudges, we can't afford to have them in our life. You see, but we know that the process doesn't always work so smoothly. It really doesn't. The process breaks down when the one who has wronged us refuses to even accept correction and doesn't repent. The expectation of an apology can make things worse. And so this holds true on a daily basis, whether, you know, we're on our job or even in our home, whether we're right there in the supermarket where we've got somebody that's slow-poking and we're ready to get through the line, but they're just haggering around and they want to hold a full conversation and we've got 40 people in the line. You know, and so we, we've got to still walk in forgiveness. We can be in a restaurant, regardless of where we are. We have to have that attitude. We have to have uh, that forgiving heart. But before we attempted to set aside uh, Jesus' model as unrealistic for our day, we should flip it around and ask ourselves some questions. How do we react to a deserved rebuke? How do we respond to a fellow Christian who comes to us to register a complaint about our behavior? See, sometimes we can point fingers and we can look at other people's behavior, but how is our behavior? Is our first impulse one of self-justification? Because a lot of times, you know, we try to justify ourselves. Or one of self-examination. And we're going to be doing that as today is Communion Sunday and as we go into the morning worship part of our service you know, before we partake of the Lord's Supper together, we have to do a self-examination. Do we facilitate the process of forgiveness or do we stumble, block it? Oh, my goodness. And so these questions relate closely to Jesus' teaching on faith in this lesson. Do we expect praise or congratulations for doing the right thing? Must our acts of faithful obedience be rewarded in order for us to continue to do the right thing? Receiving correction in an humble spirit is an act of faith. Maybe as difficult an act of faith as there is for a believer. Humility is not easy because we don't live in a world that prizes or encourages the humble heart. It really don't, you know, if you fully look at it. The worldly model is one of, I'm going to get even with you, you know, because you hurt me. You offended me. You know, I'm upset about that. You ran in front of me, took my parking space. I'm offended. Let's put the scorecards away. Let's have faith much bigger than a tiny mustard seed and allow God to transform our world for him. Mustard seeds and scorecards just don't match. Hallelujah. I pray that you have been blessed by these few words today um, and that the Lord is doing great and wonderful things for you as we continue this faith series. We've been in this for the last uh, probably two months, but every Sunday we've been talking about faith, and we've got to go from faith to faith because without faith we can't please the Lord. And so I am trusting the Lord that your faith each and every way, every week is being activated and you're beginning to see things in a whole different way because none of us have arrived. We're all striving each day for perfection. Each day we're growing as little children, whether we've been in church for one day or we've been here for the past 50 years. We're still growing. We still have a ways to go. We're still on that turning wheel. Hallelujah. And so this morning, we want to pray. 
um, before we get ready to transfer into the second segment in the latter part of our service on this morning. Pray with me for just a moment. This morning, if, if you don't know the Lord as your personal Savior, I want to offer him to you even right now if there's anyone that is here for the very first time that our guest here that may not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That's the first place to begin the putting away of the scorecard. Salvation is not something complicated. It's not anything technical or scary. And I never want to assume that everyone that is listening either have child in to the studio or listening via the Internet that you are there, that you are at that place. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, you'll be saved. So if you're ready to make that declaration, I just want you to raise your hands if you're able in a position to do so and repeat this simple prayer after me. Father, I admit that I'm a sinner. I have done many things that don't please you. I have lived my life for myself. I'm sorry, and I totally repent. I ask you to forgive me. I believe that you died on the cross for me to save me. You did what I could not do for myself. I come to you now and ask you to take control of my life. I give it to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to live every day in a way that pleases you. I love you, Lord, and I thank you that I will spend all eternity with you. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you prayed that prayer with me, you know, I want you to know that you are no longer who you were. I always believe it's not about an emotion. Sometimes we get so caught up in emotionalism, but it's not about emotion. It's about a, a qualified and made-up mind. It's about a decision that you have made. But I want you to know that it goes even more than that that now that you've made that commitment and you've made that decision um, to make Jesus Christ your choice, I want you to understand that now you want to get involved in, in a place where you can be taught the word of God. I pray that there is a place right there in your local area where you can find yourself rooted and grounded in, become a part of, because membership has benefits, and that you find yourself fully and totally committed. I ask that you also, if there is a place that, that you have not yet uh, attached yourself to, please feel free um, to follow us and become a part of the Kingdom of God Fellowship Church. We have our local church here in North Carolina, and we also have our church without walls. Visit our website today at www.kogfellowshipchurch.org. Send us an email, a message. Let us know that you prayed that prayer of repentance with us today at kogfc at outlook.com. We also ask that, again, become connected. Don't be out there alone, but be connected. Become a part of something much greater. Amen. And so we're going to prepare now to go into our morning worship. For those of you that may have to leave, I want to wish you such a wonderful and blessed Sunday. Truly, this is the day that the Lord has made, and we're going to rejoice and be exceedingly glad in it. Hallelujah. For those who will be remaining with us for this next part, I do ask that you prepare your hearts and your minds as we get ready to go into a time of worship. This is also Communion Sunday. We're going to be uh, preparing uh, to partake in the Lord's 
suffer. And so at this time, there is no benediction here, and this is going to be just a continuation on into our morning service. I am so grateful. Hallelujah. Amen. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. I will rejoice, I will rejoice and be glad in it, and be glad in it. For this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. For this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Oh, he has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. Yes, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Good morning, good morning. God bless everyone. I want to thank you all so much for joining us for another Sunday morning of worship and praise to our God. I am Apostle Rose White, and I am with you today along with the Kingdom of God Fellowship Church. I thank and praise the Lord for all of those that are continuing on for our time that we had in our School of the Bible, a.k.a. uh, Sunday School for some. We just love the word. Nothing greater than the word of God, and there's nothing greater than sweet fellowship with other believers in Christ Jesus. I thank God for you that have uh, gotten up early this morning to spend this special time with us on today. Before we begin um, our morning service, I want to just open up in a time of prayer. Let's pray. Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we just come to you this morning, oh God, thanking you for this day that you allowed us to come together one more time. I thank you, Father, for each and every person that have arose early this morning to give you the first fruit of their day to command their morning. I thank you today, O God, for those that are here that are listening. I ask that you would bless them beyond measure. For those that are preparing, O God, preparing their families for continued services throughout the day, I ask that you would be with them, that you would bless them all day long. Father, we loose forth your angels that you have on assignment for each and every individual, oh God, for each and every family. We lift up every church house on today, for every pastor and for every leader. We ask, oh God, that you would bless members all across the land, those that are traveling to go to houses of worship. Bless that your presence will fill the place. Bless, oh God, that there are signs, miracles, and wonders that follows after your word. We thank you for your precious anointing, knowing that where your anointing is, yokes are broken. So we thank you today. Move us out of the way today that you will be high and lifted up. You said if you be lifted up, you will draw all men unto you. We thank you for those that are covering us even today, that are praying for us even on this broadcast. We glorify you today for sweet fellowship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Hallelujah. We again want to thank each and every one for being here with us on today. Just want to give a few announcements very quickly. For those of you um, that can, uh, we ask that you'll continue to join us. We've been having such a wonderful time on the Morning Manor broadcast um, each and every weekday morning, Monday through Friday, beginning at 6 a.m. Eastern Time, 5 Central. We ask that you join us as we are going through a journey um, in the book of Psalms. I'm telling you, it has been powerful. God has truly been uh, opening up our eyes, causing enlightenment to take place. There has been such a refreshing, a restoring. There has been just revival on the line every morning. I mean, it's an hour of power from 6 to 7. And so you can tune in um, by listening to us uh, by dialing 724-444-7444. And the meeting ID for those calls Monday through Friday is 140-273-POUNDS. Or you can listen online right here at our Talk Shoe Radio um, for our morning manna to live by. Excuse me. It has just been so, so wonderful. We have wonderful participants um, that is a part of that, and we're just growing each and every day. Day by day, we're growing. Um, And then join us on Wednesdays, Wednesday nights at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6.30 Central, on our blog talk radio station, the Empowered for Life radio broadcast. This is our Disciples for Life class, and we are all disciples. Again, we, none of us have arrived, and we have to grow day by day. When we get to that place where we feel like we've already got it, we already know it all, then we might as well die and go on to be with the Lord. Hallelujah. But we are students for life. There are new things that God is teaching us. He's taking us from glory to glory, and he's taking us higher and higher. And so join me every Wednesday night, um, again, at 730 PM. We are going to be finishing up last week and then starting a whole new spiritual warfare series um, because I've had so many people that have been asking about uh, warfare because we're in war. We're in a spiritual battle right now. And we're going to be beginning with a very hard topic, so ask that you pray now <laughs> to prepare your hearts and minds and pray for me as we're going to be delving into the Jezebel spirit. And so you don't want to miss the next few weeks and months. Um, it's time to be on. We should have been on. But it's time to fully get armed and loaded right now because the war is real and it is on. Hallelujah. Lastly, begin praying now to enroll in our fall semester of the KLG Bible College and Seminary. We're going to be launching our newly revised The God Be the Glory School of Ministry, starting with our certificate and diploma programs in ministry, our associate's and bachelor's degree program in the areas of theology and divinity, pastoral counseling, and church administration. Our certificate and our diploma programs are six months in duration, while the associate's degree uh, are in uh, pastoral counseling and church administration. These are 18-month programs. Our bachelor's degree degree program in the dual theology and divinity, as well as pastoral counseling and church administration, these are 24 months in duration. And so email us today for more information and to get on our mailing list. And we also solicit your prayers to pray for us that we might go forth to help to equip the saints for the working of the ministry. It's all about the kingdom, men and women of God, and we're excited about that, all about Jesus and him alone. So email us today at kogfc at outlook.com. Well, it is that time that we give unto the Lord, even of our resources. You know, Luke 6, uh, verse 38 says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. 
We pray that you will ask the Lord and seek um, the wisdom of God as to what it is that you are to sow and that you give knowing that it's given in good soul. We're all about touching other people's lives, and we pray to be blessed that we might be a blessing to others. You can make your checks payable to KOGFC, which represents the Kingdom of God Fellowship Church, and mail it. you can mail your payment directly to us at 337 South Scale Street, Unit D, as that's Diaz and David, Reesville, North Carolina, 27320. Or you can go to our website, which is www.kogfellowshipchurch.org, and click on the online giving button. Please know that all contributions are tax deductible. Hallelujah. And so I want to pray for those of you that are giving right now. We are believing God for a supernatural breakthrough in your finances. We are believing God to open up doors on your behalf because God's got it like that, and he's able to provide all your needs according to his riches and glory. Let's just pray. Hallelujah. Father, I just thank you right now for these, your dear ones, your precious heart. And Father, we ask that you would bless them, O oh God. We thank you right now that you're blessing them just because of their faithfulness to be here, their presence of being on this broadcast this morning. God, I ask that you would bless them for that. And, Father, for those that are even going the extra mile, those that are sowing a financial seed into the ministry, I ask that you would open up the floodgates, open up the windows of heaven, and pour them out blessings that there is no room for them to receive. Father, I see right now for many that are going to be overtaken by your blessing, where they're having to put their hands up and say, hold up, I've got so much coming in, I can't even take any more. God, I believe you, that you're supplying me, that you're opening up doors, oh God, and that their cupboards are overflowing, that in their lives there is nothing lacking, there's nothing missing, and there is nothing broken. And so I thank you today that you're giving back unto them that good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. We give you praise, we give you glory, and we do give you honor this day, for it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, and amen. Hallelujah. Well, it's time for the word. (laughs) We thank the Lord today for the word of the Lord, and we pray that you are encouraged by it on today. Again, please make sure that you've got your bread already ready, your juice already ready, because this is Communion Sunday. This is that time where we'll be able to suck from the table with Jesus. So we're going to be participating in the Lord's Supper very quickly, immediately after the morning message. And so I ask that you go ahead and turn with me um, to 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. I'm going to be reading from the King James Version. Hallelujah. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. This morning, I am excited about being with you in the house of the Lord. Wherever you are, you're in the house of the Lord. And so we give God the praise, the glory, and the honor. Second Kings chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, 
thine handmaid have not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Then he said, go borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. Father, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for this moment. Father, we ask that you would bless the words in which we have just heard through your holy scriptures. Help us, O God, to have ears to hear what you are saying to us through your word and by your spirit. O God, help us today, for you're ministering to our hearts. You're causing our faith to increase and causing us to receive abundantly. Hide me behind your cross. Cover us with your blood on this day, and we'll give you the praise, the glory, and the honor that is due only unto you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning just for a few moments about a widow, a pot of oil, and faith that works. (laughs) Hallelujah. Faith. That works. Um, as we've been talking about faith, even in our time of, of school of the Bible, here is about uh, a woman that had lost her husband, uh, talking about oil and having to have that faith to believe God to do the supernatural. And in the days of Elijah and Elisha and Israel, the principal prophets of God had gathered about them a group of, of workers called the sons of the prophets. And one of these sons of the prophets, he died. And there was some debts that he left behind. Like, you know, a lot of times there are debts when we have loved ones that, that leave. And those creditors began to harass the widow, seeking to sell her two sons as bond servants to pay the debt. And that's something. That thrilling story of God, you know, how God heard the cry of this poor widow is a blessing to you and I on today. I want you to pay attention to a couple of things that um, God is speaking to us in this message. First, God can always open a, a way for his children in trouble. That's a fact. Hallelujah. And that just calls us to be jumping and shouting and running around. People jump over a lot of things, but this is something that we can really rejoice about today, that he will make a way. He will open up a door. And so now here in Israel, this son of the prophets had died in debt, according to, you know, that very first verse. He brought headache to his wife and, and almost brought slavery to his sons by having that unpaid. And this is something why we stress, you know, to members, to men and women of God, you know, to owe no man nothing but to love. Be not a slave to debt because that's what debt is. It's a slave. And so the widow uh, was utterly heartbroken. She grieved over her dead husband. And no doubt she grieved up with them unpaid debts <laughs> as, a, as a, you know, a godly woman wouldn't necessarily do. And so she was nearly frantic 
that here this creditor who had no pity was about to take her sons into bondage. So in desperation, what did she do? She cried unto the man of God, went unto Elisha, and said, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And so God's faithful prophet Elisha had a remedy which God showed him. Thank God there is always a way out for a child of God if we go to God first and trust him and take him at his word. See, who would be more helpless than, than such a, a poor widow in Bible time? We even look upon today that we ought to be praying for the widow. We need to be praying for the fatherless, you know, those orphans that have been left fatherless and, and many that are even lost, left motherless. See, this particular widow, she had no trade. She couldn't teach school. She wasn't no secretary as, as today our modern women of us today are. She had her children that she had to take care of, and she had no money to live on. You know, so she was faced with complete disaster. You talk about somebody being at the end of their rope. Oh, yeah, she was. But she came to God through his prophet, and God showed her the way out. Let us remember that when trouble comes, the thing to do is to always go to God first. Hallelujah. God is an awesome God. He's a mighty God. He's a deliverer. And Psalms chapter 50, verse 15 says, And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Hallelujah. God loves us. He always has plenty. He always knows a way out. Secondly, what you have is enough for God, according to verse 2. See, Elisha said to the poor woman, what shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? So in other words, whatever you have in the house is enough for God. Oh, my. See, you can take a little and make it into much. Sometimes we think we've got to be working two, three, and four jobs. When God can take just the gift that you have and cause that creative idea, cause witty inventions to bring wealth into your life. Hallelujah. What is it that's in your heart? What do you have in your house? See, if there's nothing but a pot of oil, God can multiply the oil. He is a great multiplier. Oh, my. If there's only a handful of meal in the bottom of the barrel, God can make it last to feed Elijah, a woman, and her sons until the drought is past, according to 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 to 16. If there are only five little small, small little biscuits and two fish and a little boy's lunch, when Jesus blessed it and broke it, oh, my, it was enough to feel five, feed 5,000. Glory to God. God said to Moses, what is that in thine hand? And what did Moses say? A rod. But that rod, that stick, it became the rod of God that could bring plagues upon all of Egypt. It was a rod that could become a serpent before Pharaoh that could open or close the Red Sea. It was a rod that could bring water out of a rock for millions of people. Hallelujah. Even Samson, he took the jawbone of an ass and killed 1,000 Philistines the enemies of Israel. It's wonderful to come to realize that God is the master of circumstance. Ha, ah, that's enough to give God praise about. I heard someone ask a friend one time, how's it going? He said, oh, pretty good under the circumstances. The guy who asked his friend how he's doing replied, you ought to get out from under the circumstances. You know, I thought that was rather funny because it's so true. we got to get out from under these circumstances. See, a believer, we that profess Christ, 
We're not under circumstance. We're under grace. To God be the glory. God is teaching us a lesson here this morning in this text. How little you have doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is that you wholly surrender what you have to God. Thirdly, God wants empty vessels, and he wants plenty of them. (laughs) We'll talk about empty vessels. In verse 3, Elisha said to the troubled widow, go, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. See, to the logical but unbelieving mind, it appears silly to go and get a whole lot of empty vessels to hold some oil when one did not know where the oil was coming from. Isn't that something? We'd be saying, oh, my goodness, she had lost her mind. But those who get help from God must provide the empty vessels. For that poor widow to go out and, and appeal to her neighbors that she might borrow empty vessels, and I mean not just a few but lots of them, it's going to be a real test of her faith. And I thought about this as an illustration. You know, it may be of saying, hello, Miss Banks, may I borrow all the vessels you can spare? I like to borrow the churn, that milk pail, those vinegar jars. Oh, Mr. Power of Forgiveness Show, Mrs. Power of Forgiveness Show, you know, can you borrow, can you loan me some vinegar jars, some of them syrup buckets, those water jars, anything that you can spare? Can you just loan them to me? I can imagine the raised eyebrow <laughs> of Miss Banks saying, surely, you know, she's glad to, to let her widowed neighbor borrow some vessels, but what in the world is she going to do with so many? Fill them with oil? But where would oil come from? Out of that one little pot of oil she's got? No way. Then that explanation. See, the prophet of God said she should get plenty of vessels and that God would fill them all. And then she could sell enough to pay all her debt. See, some of the neighbors probably laughed at her. Another would smile and say, yeah, she's really lost it. You know, she's in such depression, and she's in complete denial. She's off her rocker. She's lost it. Some probably insisted that she must not depend on such foolishness. How many of us know that there come times when people think, when we do things out of faith, that it's foolish. It's crazy. Ain't no way nothing like that can happen. But it's the foolish things that confounds the wise. Thank you, Jesus. And so I can imagine that as this widow and her sons brought all the vessels home to the bare house, that fear gripped her heart and she thought she would surely die of shame. If she had to carry all those vessels back and tell all them curious, gossipy neighbors that, well, after all, God did not furnish oil to fill them, ooh, what they going to say? But she had faith in God. She had faith in the prophet of God. See, God wants empty vessels. He can fill them. And some people are not filled with the Holy Spirit. Perhaps the reason is that they have not been emptied of the other things. To the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of, of riches, They choke the word that it becomes unfruitful. And too much to eat at the table of this world means that one does not feed upon the manna from heaven. May we, may you and I, just like this poor widow woman in the days of Elisha, may we get empty vessels and then set them down where God can fill them with oil. Hallelujah. In verse 4, 
we see the miracle behind the closed doors. Elisha said to that widow in verse 4, and when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full one. This miracle and work of faith, uh, it was not to be seen by outsiders. It may be that some of the neighbors from whom the vessels were borrowed never quite believed that God had multiplied the oil so that it filled, you know, all those vessels. Were there any witnesses besides the family? Plenty of the people in the community uh, no doubt thought that the age of miracles was past since they themselves actually never saw one. Are there miracles in the world today? If there are, uh, some would say, well, it don't happen at our annual meeting. <laughs> you can be sure that in most cases where God heals the body of some humbled uh, Christian, wonderfully releasing him from the pain and, and giving health and strength, there is no committee of doctors that are present to see the miracle take place. And when Jesus was raised, you know, what raised from the dead, that little daughter of the ruler of the synagogue, guess what? There were people that laughed in the scorn. But when he had put them all out, the Bible says he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entereth in where the damsel was lying. And Jesus raised her from the dead. Mark chapter 5, verse 40. When Jesus, when, I'm sorry, when Peter, according to Acts, if you look at Acts chapter 9, verse 40, when Peter was sent forth to pray over the dead body of Dorcas, we are told, you know, but Peter put them all forth out and kneeled down and prayed. And turning him to the body said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, oh my, she sat up. Don't you see that when God does big business with needy souls, he does it where the unbelievers and the scoffers will not see it. That is one of the main reasons, sometimes for that secret place, praying. If you really want something from God, then go into your secret closet. Talk to your father in secret. And guess what? He'll reward you openly. Hallelujah. And then number five, that oil that filled all the vessels, it stopped, according to verse 6. When all was ready, when the vessels had been borrowed from all the neighbors and the door was shut, then the mother took her place with the little pot of oil, my, my. Her sons prepared to bring her the vessels, fulfilling one after the other. I wish I could have been present to watch that. The destiny of here, these sons, is actually depending upon the outcome. The mother's heart is fearful yet glad, and she's in expectation. Today, we're in expectation. We'll believe in God. I think her hands was probably trembling as she lifts the pot of oil, and as she pours it into the first vessel, pours and pours. Ooh, the vessel is filled. And yet the pot of oil, guess what? It doesn't diminish. And then quickly, you know, it, you know, let that, that miraculous stream of rich, riches actually cease to flow. She asks for another vessel, and she pours into it. And that son sets the first one to the side. Her lip trembles with praise. Oh, my, my. Vessel after vessel after vessel is filled with that rich olive oil until every vessel available has been filled to the brim. Here is wealth indeed. See, in the East, and especially among Jews who used no lard, olive oil was a necessity with no substitute. Oil for frying food, oil to burning lamps, oil for every kind of ointment, 
the sound, the face cream, oil to make leather pliable, even to keep iron from rusting. See, no wonder olive oil could be sold in any market. Now today, I love olive oil. I use olive oil in just about everything that I do today. And so the widow's time of trial and poverty and wearing is done. Her sons are no longer in danger of enslavement. Only God can do a thing like that. And so I can imagine that the muscles in the widow's back, they're probably cramped. There are beads of sweat on her forehead. Just, just imagine that. As she's pouring that oil from that undiminished store in the little pot, and as the vessel is nearly full, she says quickly to her son, Ooh, bring me another one. But now the son says, there's not a vessel more. And when the scripture says, the oil is stayed. That's what the scripture says at that point. Because why? There was no more vessels. When there were no more vessels, God worked no more miracles. And when faith acts no more, God gave no more. I was not there. And scripture doesn't tell us what the woman thought or said. But I have long thought about and imagined that she cried aloud. Oh, if I had only known the oil would keep pouring. I could have gotten so many more vessels to feed. She got only as much oil as she provided vessels for. And so this same prophet Elijah, who had encouraged the widow to trust God to multiply her oil, later was near death. And King Joash of Israel came to see him, according to 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 14 and 19. Elisha promised deliverance from the Syrians and said to Joash, take the arrows. Joash took them, and Elisha said, smite upon the ground. And Joash smote the ground three times and stopped. Then the Bible says that Elisha was wroth with him and said in verse 19, thou shouldest have smitten five or six times. Then hast thou smitten Syria till thou hast consumed it, whereas now, Thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. The king could have smitten six times as well as three times. His victory now was limited by his faith. So when the woman's vessels were all filled, the oil stayed. Had she gathered more vessels, she would have had more oil. There's enough oil left here for this widow to live on. Immediately. The widow came to tell the prophet Elisha, the man of God, and he said in verse 7, first, she was to pay her debt. We that are believers, we need to remember that comes first. We got to keep the main thing, the main thing. Pay your debts. When the resources come in after you've been crying and praying for the Lord to allow you to live a debt-free life and get out from underneath of that bondage, let's keep the main thing, the main thing. Pay those debts first. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23-24 says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. How gladly this woman must have paid the debt that had hung over her husband, now gone to glory, and over her and had threatened the, even the happiness of her son. So the debt now was paid. But Elisha said, and live thou, and thy children of the rest. One of the marvels of God's goodness is that when God answers prayer, he can do more than give us the bare necessities. I love Ephesians 3.20. It says, now unto him that is able to do exceeding 
Hallelujah. So when that woman got enough oil to pay her debt, she also got enough for her and her sons to live on. In my closing this morning, why not go borrow vessels, empty vessels, and make sure to not just get a few. Why not make plenty of room for God to work? Why not make big plans and pray big prayers? Glory. And as certainly as we put our faith in God and follow his directions, we may expect him to fill every vessel that in fact or in faith we empty and provide for him. Glory. Oh, that God would fill us on this communion Sunday morning with his spirit. The one who is full of the spirit has all the fullness of God. You can have everything else. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Will you make it your determination for all future needs to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit? Before we take communion, I want to offer Christ to you if you're not saved today. That the first step was having the fullness of God. Salvation is not something complicated. It is not anything that is difficult. It's not anything that's scary or technical. The Bible tells us very clearly and very plainly that if we confess, open up our mouth, and begin to speak out the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that it is God, our Heavenly Father, who has raised Jesus from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. So if you're ready to make that declaration, I just want you to raise your hand. If you're driving, of course you can't do that. But if you are at that place, I want you to just raise your hands in complete total surrender unto the Lord and repeat this simple prayer after me. Father, I come to you a sinner. I admit that. I have done wrong in my life. I've lived according to my own terms. I've lived my life my own way. And this morning I repent of all of my sins. Please forgive me today. I believe that You died on the cross for me. You died to save me. You did that. You know, you did exactly what I wasn't able to do for myself. And so I come to you now this morning, and I ask that you take complete control of my life. I totally surrender my all. I give myself to you today. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to live every day in a way in which you're pleased with. I love you, Lord, and I thank you that I will spend all eternity with you. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah to God. Be the glory. I want you to know that if you prayed that prayer with me, then you are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old you has been passed away, and today, behold, everything has become new. If you prayed that prayer, please send us an email today. Contact us uh, at klgfc at outlook.com. Let us know that you have prayed that prayer. We want to continue to fellowship with you and to be a a person that will help you to continue as a disciple for Jesus Christ. Visit our website at klgfellowshipchurch.org and begin to review everything about our ministry. We have a church without walls for those that are outside of the regional North Carolina area. And for those, we do believe that once you accept Jesus Christ, you need to become a member uh, of a church. You need to become a place at a place. Uh, a member where you can continue to, to receive the word of God, to continue to be disciples for Jesus Christ. And I pray 
that you will have a place there in your local area. But if you have not yet located a place, then please feel free to become a part of our Church Without Walls. You can do that by clicking on the tab there on our website, which says iChurch. There's our Church Without Walls, where you can continue to even pray the prayer that is listed there. And then we have an, an online member form that is there. Fill that out. The moment you click Submit, one of our pastoral team or support staff will contact you for further information. Again, if you live here in the local area, feel free to visit with us and to participate and be in one of our services. We'd love to fellowship with you. If you're here and may feel that you've gone into a backslidden state, you know, you're in a church, you're a believer, but you're not where you need to be spiritually. And there are times when we all get on the low side or we are having our valley moment. We want to pray for you this morning before we partake in the Lord's Supper. The Bible says to let every man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that water, that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, the Bible says, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest I will set in order when I come. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 28 to 34. I want to pray with you on this morning for everyone else that is here. Let's pray. Father, we stand and what we have thought and said in the wrong we have done and in the good we have not done. We've sinned in ignorance. We have sinned in weakness. We have sinned through our own deliberate fault. This morning we come to you, O oh God, bowing at your feet, asking you to forgive us. Forgive us of our times of just being slowful and being slack, for our times of being lazy, not reading your word as we should, not praying as often as we should, not showing forth love and kindness as we should. This day, oh God, we're sorry, truly sorry, and we repent. We turn totally unto you, creating us a clean heart, renewing us a right spirit. Renew our lives to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to ask everyone now at this particular time as we prepare to partake in the Lord's Supper, please take your bread in your hand. The Bible says in Luke chapter 11, verse 24, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Take, let's eat together. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Now take your cup and lift it up before the Lord. Verse 25 says, after the same manner, also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us drink. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Finally, in verse 26, the scripture says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah to God be the glory. I want to say this morning, I want to thank each and every one of you for spending this time with me on today. I want to thank God for you joining us here on the broadcast and being in fellowship with us um, at the Kingdom of God Fellowship Church. This concludes our Sunday morning broadcast. Please remember to join us in the morning at 6 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time, 5 Central, right here on the Talk Show Radio with our Morning Manor broadcast. Again, we do post it on our Facebook for those of you that follow us on Facebook. We look forward to, if you can't be at one of those, then we look forward maybe perhaps next Sunday morning or on Wednesday night. We love you, and we do appreciate you very, very much. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. We want to wish you all a glorious day until we meet again for another time here on the Empowered for Life radio broadcast and with the Kingdom of God Fellowship Church. Also thank God for those of you that are here with us with the morning worship hour through Talk Show. I am Apostle Rose White. Shalom and God bless you. Amen. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.